the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Saints who went before us, with saints who witness still, we sing glad alleluias, and we strive to do your will. In our Lord's name, amen. You may be seated. Yay. Yesterday was a very unique day. Because yesterday in the morning there was a service for a saint who has now gone before us. And in the evening last night there was a baptism for a saint who is among us still. Two women yesterday. One, Joyce Bearsma, who was called home to heaven. And as I met with the family, the first thing they said about Joyce was, Did you know, Pastor, that she was a foster mom? Do you know that 15, 20, 25 children found their way into her home and into her life? Did you know that, Pastor? And I said, No, all these years that I've known Hank and Joyce Beersma, I did not realize that about her. And in the service yesterday morning, I mentioned the fact that the service that evening would involve a baptism of a young boy, Julian, who some five or six years ago was a foster child in the home of Matt and Nancy Butterfield. And in the evening when I did the baptism and had the service, I mentioned about Joyce in the evening service that she had been a foster mom over the course of decades. The saints who've gone before us and the saints who are with us still, they have one desire, and that is to serve him. For 39 years, I've been blessed on Mother's Day to share a message whether it's Wichita, Kansas, or whether it's been here. And on this day, I want to share a message about a yet another woman in the Bible, one I've never spoken of before. Her name is Esther. Her life and her story are found in the Old Testament book. 460 B.C. is when her story comes. The Jews have been captured by two great empires— One, the Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar. And after some decades had gone by, then the Persian Empire under the great King Darius, who treated the Jews kindly, he took over. And when Darius died, his son Xerxes became king. And it is during his reign that this story takes place. I want to pick up the story of Esther in the second chapter And the 17th verse. Now the king was attracted to Esther, 
more than to any of the other women in the kingdom. She had won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins in the kingdom. So after a year's time, he set a royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Xerxes was a king of Persia. He had deposed his wife Vashti for the simple fact that she refused to follow his commands. She deserved death according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. But Xerxes thought highly enough of her that he spared her life and yet banished her from the kingdom. The king proposed a nationwide search that would last for one year. And all of the most beautiful young women of Persia would be brought to his palace, hundreds of them. And they would, the Bible says, they would undergo 12 months of beauty treatments and instructions as to the ways of the courts and how one handled themselves in the courts. One by one, the maidens presented themselves to Xerxes. And after one year had gone by, the king chose, out of the hundreds that came to him, the king chose his new queen, And her name, indeed, was Esther. She was a Jew. Mordecai, her uncle, who had adopted her upon the death of her mother and father, Mordecai said to her, There can never be a word out of your mouth ever that you are a Jew. You speak the truth in all other matters, but you never tell anyone that you are of the Jewish race. And when it became clear that she was going to be the new queen, Mordecai enforced this upon her even more radically. Never mention a word of your Jewish heritage. As you read the book of Esther, there is no reference whatsoever to God. It is the only one of the 66 books in the Bible that there is no mention of God. Ten chapters. There is no mention of worship or prayer or sacrifice. As you read the book of Esther, you find no indication whatsoever that this young lady who had saved the Jews from genocide, as surely as did Moses when he led them out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea, But unlike Moses, to whom God appeared in a burning bush, and unlike Moses, who conversed with God and argued with God and was chosen by God directly for the purpose of delivering the Israelites from 400 years of slavery, there is no indication in the ten chapters that Esther was trying to discover God's will. No mention of God or worship or prayer. It doesn't seem that Esther was concerned at all about God's plan or purpose for her life. Esther is chosen by the king, but we know that she was chosen by God. Her youth and her beauty, not her commitment to Jehovah, her youth and her beauty are what is presented by the author of this story. She becomes queen. 
her youth and her beauty given to her by God for such a time as this. What does it mean? Why is God not mentioned? What are the thoughts behind that? Esther discovers her place in life the same way that we discover our place in life. For most of us on this earth, there are no burning bushes. There are no laying out of the fleece like uh, Gideon did. There is no fire coming down from heaven like Elijah on Mount Carmel. There is no 32,000 soldiers going against the Assyrians, and God says, no, we've got to melt it down to 300, and I'll choose the 300 by the way they drink water out of the lake. For most, there are no supernatural signs. There's no unusual workings at all. There is no time that Esther goes back to the Scriptures. There's no time, even when her entire nation of Israel is risk being massacred, and I'll explain that shortly. There is nothing in these pages that tell us that Esther would go to her God and speak to him. There's a very famous biblical scholar, his name is Ray Dillard, and he explains why there is no mention of God in the story. He says, deliberately the author of this book refrains from mentioning God as a literary device to heighten the fact that it is God who controls and directs all the seemingly insignificant coincidences that make up this story. God's sovereign rule is assumed at every point. Esther is just there. She enters a beauty contest because she has no choice. Is the outworking of the ordinary affairs of life, but God is directing the outworkings. God is directing her path. You read Psalm 139, which I've mentioned many times. Next to the 23rd Psalm is my favorite by far. God knows when you lie down. He knows when you rise up. He knows when you leave one circumstance and enter another. God knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows your words before you speak them. And the 16th verse of Psalm 139, the days were ordained for you by God before you were ever born. May 12, 2019, whatever is going on in your life, it was ordained for you by God before you were ever born. There is one verse in Esther. It's the fourth chapter, and it is the 14th verse. And this has God all over it, without his name being mentioned. Mordecai says to Esther, when she becomes queen, when she finds out that Haman is going to seek to exterminate the entire Jewish nation. Mordecai says to her, Who knows but you, that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this? Who knows that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this? 
Mordecai takes those words directly from Joseph in the book of Genesis. For Joseph said, when his brothers discovered that it was Joseph who was second in command of Egypt, and they just assumed since they sold him into slavery that he would now get their vengeance upon them, Joseph said to them, It was not you who sent me here. It was God. It was God who put me in this position for such a time as this. Mordecai knew the scriptures. He knew the story of Joseph. He takes those words and he applies them to Esther. I said last week when I was preaching on the proofs of the resurrection, I said the Jews, particularly when they were in captivity, why did they not get swallowed up by the culture in which they lived? Because they had social structures that were tied with their religion that they practice on a daily, weekly, and annual basis. You better believe that Mordecai, Esther's uncle, presented her with the truths of Jehovah God. Who knows, but yet you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. Joyce Beresma, 20, 25 foster children, over the course of their years on this earth. Four children of her own and then all these foster children. And I could not help but think, who knows, Joyce, but that you have come to this position for such a time as this. The young boy, Julian, five or six years, so many people praying for Matt and Nancy Butterfield as the situation went back and forth in the court. And one moment they are weeping because they think they have lost him. And then two weeks ago, they adopt him into their family. And then he is baptized last night. Who knows, Nancy Butterfield? Who knows, Matt, whether you have come to this position for such a time as this? I preach this on Mother's Day because of mothers. I preach this on Mother's Day because of mothers. I said at the start of the service, there is no more sacred position on this earth than that of being a mother. When I was in Wichita, Kansas, I spent time in the prisons there in Wichita, early in the ministry. And when I would go and visit those in prison... There was one topic of discussion that was there 99% of the time. And the topic of discussion by those in prison were their mothers. And they would speak to me about how much they had disappointed their mothers, how hard their mothers had tried to raise them correctly, and, and their greatest, greatest sorrow was what they had done to their mothers. And virtually every prisoner they ever visit, there was one visit they received on a weekly, monthly basis, and that was a visit from their mothers. And so many of them would say, my mom never stopped loving me. She never stopped. She never stopped. I remember when my mother was down to her last two or three months of life and I had gone down to visit her. She went through the list of all five children 
my brother Al and me and Mark and Tim and Rebecca. She went through the entire list, spent an hour and a half telling me about each one of us, the blessings she had received from each one of us, and the challenge that each one of us lifted up to her. And when I realized that I would see her for the last time, she had makeup on and, and dressed so prettily. Say, Paul, I want you to remember how pretty I was at age 87. As I talked to my mom, I realized that in the course of 87 years on this earth, there were five people that never, 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 never left her heart and never left her prayers. And that was her five children. She lived and she breathed for them. And as a Christian mom, she said, my only goal was to keep you close to Jesus. My only goal was by the Spirit's grace to get you to heaven. Who knows that you have been appointed your position for such a time as this? His name was Mordecai. When Haman is lifted to the highest position in King Xerxes' court, he would walk down the streets and everyone would bow to him except for Mordecai. And he looked at Mordecai and he said, Why will you not bow down to me? And Mordecai said, I bow down to no one except. Reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar builds this golden idol. And he says, when the trumpet blows, all of you bow down to this golden idol. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not bow down. Mordecai does not bow down. Haman meets with the king. He says, can you do me a favor? There are people who will do great harm to your kingdom, and I am trying to exterminate them before they do harm to you. And Xerxes said, who are these people? And he said, the Jews, because he found out that Mordecai was a Jew. And Xerxes said, let this be given to you, Haman. On this date, at this time, this month, this day, all the Jews shall be exterminated. And at that point, Mordecai goes to Esther and he says, now it's the time to reveal yourself to the king. She said, I will die. He says, you have no choice. God has called you to this position for a time such as this. He doesn't mention God, but the implication is there as he takes the words that Joseph had used. The queen goes to the king. If he holds up his scepter, she lives. If he brings it down, she dies. He holds up the scepter. She tells him the story. And the next day, Haman, who was sitting right next to the king when she told the story, he dies on the gallows that were prepared for Mordecai. She saves the Jewish people from genocide. Psalm 75. The exaltation of a person's life does not come from the north, south, east, or west. 
The exaltation of a man or a woman comes from the Lord God. He raises up a person like Esther or Jonah or Samson or Isaiah or Elijah or the disciples of Simon Peter. He raises up a person and he pulls them back down again. I talked about how sacred mothers are and I close by telling you how sacred you are to God. For I will engage in things this week that you will never touch if you lived a hundred years. And you will engage in circumstances this week that I will never get close to if I lived a hundred years. Our lives are sacred unto the Lord. I close with these words from Spurgeon. If God had willed it, each of us might have entered heaven at the moment of our conversion. It was not necessary for our preparation for heaven that we should stay on this earth any longer than after we came to the faith. It is possible for a person to be taken to heaven and to be found ready for heaven in a single moment of time, such as a thief on the cross. It is true that our sanctification is a long process. We'll never be perfected until we lay aside our bodies and enter heaven. But if God had willed it, he might have changed us from imperfection to perfection and taken us to heaven at once. Why then are we here? Why are we left behind? Why would God keep his children out of heaven a single moment longer than was necessary? Why is the army of the living God still on the battlefield of life when with one word from him we might be in heaven? Why do his children wander here and there through this maze of suffering when a solitary word from his lips would bring us to heaven? The answer is, we are left here to live our lives unto the Lord and bring others to know his love. We remain on earth as sowers to scatter good seed. As heralds proclaiming salvation, we are here as a salt of the earth to be a blessing to the world. We are here to glorify Christ in our lives. We are workers together with him. You think upon your life, and if God had taken you to heaven a year ago, or 10, or 20, or 30 years ago, who on this earth would not have been touched by the kingdom through you? Who was hungry for companionship? Who was hungry for God and you fed him? Who was thirsty for fellowship or thirsty for God and you fed him? Who was naked because they didn't have anyone? They were all alone and they didn't have God and you clothed them with your presence and with God. How many were sick and in some sort of prison because they didn't know him and you brought God to them? Maybe just a moment of kindness offered or maybe an extended period of time that God was using you in their life. Think about it, people. If God had taken you to heaven six months ago, what have you done in the last six months that have touched another life on this earth for him. Esther chapter 4. Who knows 
but that God has called me. And who knows, but that God has called you to the position you are in for this moment in time. In our Savior's name, amen. Would you rise as we pray? Acts 17, Lord, Acts 17. It's like the Apostle Paul is taking the story from Joseph and the story from Esther and the story from Samson as he stood in those pillars at the Temple of Dagon. And he's taking a story from Jonah after he's swallowed by the whale as he goes to Nineveh and preaches there. It's like the Apostle Paul is taking their stories because in Acts 17 he says, It is God who has appointed the time that you are to live on this earth, the place that you are to live, and the things that you are to do. We live and move and have our being through God himself. Heavenly Father, we might not save an entire nation from genocide, but if we teach, touch one other life with justice and mercy, compassion and humility, if we touch one other life, then that is why you kept us here before you called us home to heaven. Such things we ask in his name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.